putting myself out there. My wife is up here praying immensely for me because I told her what I was going to preach on today. And so I had to give her like where I was going with it. But today I'm sharing a message on Jesus, the church, and politics. So um, here we are. And I, you pray for me. Patriotism is really a part of the American way of life. And I am, my family is deeply rooted. My grandfather was in the uh, military in World War II. He did not get deployed, thankfully. It was a disaster. If you ever read about the Meuse Oregon offensive, it was, it was horrific loss of life on both sides. It was a terrible war. My dad was uh, fought in World War II. The entire war, he was in the Army Air Corps. It wasn't called the Air Force at the time, and he, he ended up flying B-29s at the end of that war. And two years after 9-11, our son uh, joined the U.S. Navy and took the same oath of office, or, or that going into the military. So uh, the closest I came was uh, Vietnam War. I was in Army ROTC, and I did not get drafted while I was at Jacksonville State University. So I kind of missed that opportunity, but I've always loved the military because of my dad, my grandfather, my son. And, uh, but there's a clear dividing line in our nation. I don't have to tell you that. You don't have to look very far to say, see that there's a clear dividing line coming up in a couple of weeks on election night, and I am not anywhere going to be close to telling you what you should do. But I've been pressed in my heart for a couple of reasons that I need to bring this message to you, uh, because we will be electing a president, a senator, members of Congress, uh, state and local positions, so it's, um, wh where do we get wisdom and knowledge? Where, and, and really and truly, we're always suspect about the sources of information that we have. But I can tell you one place that you do not have to mistrust anything, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God does not contain truth. The Word of God is truth. The Logos is truth. And John gives us this impression of Jesus. The Logos, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth two powerful dynamics not deposited in a great manner in him but completely to the core of his being he was full of grace and truth so where would jesus fit in politics today well, where, were, where did he fit in politics during his lifetime? And this is where I'm going this morning. I'm going to be taking you to John chapter 17, if you want to find that passage, that chapter, because I'll take a few verses out of that chapter. But when you, when you look at, did Jesus have anything to do with the politics of his day? I want to tell you, when you do a search on that, you'll get all kinds of opinions on that. I want to share a couple of them with you. One opinion that I read was, it may come as a surprise to many, but Jesus Christ did not involve himself with the politics of his day. Even though he had a strong interest in government, he chose not to be involved in any of the political factions of the day, either in the Jewish government or in its overseer, the, Roman, the government of Rome. That's a quote from one person's perspective. Here's the Archbishop of Canterbury, quote, 
But Jesus was highly political. I mean, what, what do you do? Like, he, it's not a surprise that he didn't. But I was like, there's just a very, and different degrees of variation in that. Let me finish the quote. He told the rich that, unlike the poor who were blessed, that they would face woes. He criticized the king as a fox. He spoke harsh words to leaders of the nations when they were uncaring of the needy. And I could go on and on with all kind of different people's perspectives. But to me, it did seem as though Jesus avoided politics in his day. He did refer to Herod as that old fox. And you don't see him protesting or calling out government officials. He came on a mission of not, he didn't come on a political mission. He came on a spiritual mission, and that was to redeem mankind from their sins. So that mission had authority dripping all over it. Remember that when Jesus began to preach, this was his message. It was similar to John the Baptist's message. His message was simply this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And kingdom had a political connotation to it because people understood that. That was about the only form of government in that period of time. So when he said that the kingdom of heaven, it was easy for people to pick that up as maybe a political statement, but it was a more of a spiritual statement. When Jesus did not focus on politics, he focused on his mission, his authority of his mission, and that was that made people in authority nervous. Remember, Pilate wanted out. He did not want to deal with Jesus at all. He was really nervous about him. His wife had told him, I just had a dream. Don't have anything to do with that man. You know, and he was doing his best to back away. He was a political figure, and he wanted to get out of that situation concerning the Lord. But here it is. He still had to condemn him by crucifixion. He had the only authority to do that. So how does our faith, our connection to Christ, affect what we do in the upcoming election? Jesus, the church, and politics. I think one of the saddest results of how our nation is is that that division that we have in our nation has kind of spilled over into the church. And there's people within the church, the body of Christ, that's, there's division. And I think that's the heartbreak of God. God has never intended for his church to be divided. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And, and where I take you to in John chapter 17 is the prayer of Jesus as he finished up the Passover meal. I shared a message Wednesday night on the evolution of prayer. The first instance of praying in the Bible and how you could see prayer expanding. And the greatest tool we have the greatest ministry we have is praying for each other and praying for our nation and praying for our world every sunday night that we have a prayer gathering sometimes you know it, we may call it off because people are not coming or can't make it we pray for every family in this church by name every father every mother every child every teenager we pray for every family we pray for every staff member in University of Alabama campus. We pray for campus ministries at San Antonio and in Washington, D.C. that have people who came out of our church that's on staff there. Susan Ricketts is a missionary on the campus in Japan right now. She came out of this church. 
Charles and Amanda Gradley's on a campus in Brussels, Belgium. They came out of this church. We have so many. We pray for them. We are all, we support all of them because of their connection with the church, because they're involved in ministry. We pray for them and their children and for God's hand to be upon them, the anointing of the Lord be upon them, because they're in one of the greatest harvest fields in the world is a university campus. So Jesus knew that prayer was the most powerful thing he could do for those men. He did not give them a pep talk at the end of that Passover meal. In fact, if you followed what he told them, he braced them for the unthinkable to happen. There was, there was a little bit of a pep talk in it, but there was more of a reality check says, this is what's going to happen and this is what all of you are going to do tonight. But he finished that meeting with this long extended prayer in John 17. He knew that he had to prepare these men for what was waiting for them after this night was over. So in verse 11, what's he praying for him? He says, Father, I will remain in the world no longer. He's leaving. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. He knew that these men were going to be in danger, and he's praying for them in advance of that danger. Protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Isn't it interesting that the most important thing that Jesus saw in those 12 men was not their various talents and roles that they were going to have after his death and resurrection, but that they would all be on the same page. They would all be together. They would be as one as the Father and the Son are one. I don't know if you realize this, but there's no division between the Father and Son. There's perfect harmony. And while we won't probably ever get to that point because they're perfect in their union, he was praying, Father, help them to stay together. Protect them from division. Protect them from getting against each other because there's going to be various uh, and differences of opinion and, and such. And later on in that prayer in verse 20, he goes back to that theme. But you know what? He's praying for us in this part of the prayer. Listen to this in verse 20. My prayer is not for them only. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and I. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we spend time with Jesus in prayer, when we have a time of just heart searching and pouring out our heart before the Lord, this becomes the reality that we become more unified than ever through prayer. Our tempers, our, our anger and things that would show up in our lives that would tend to divide us and cause us to take our differences past just differences. He wants to bring forgiveness to his church. He wants to bring healing to his church. Remember, it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're scheduled to have the Lord's Supper, communion, the Sunday after Election Day. Probably a good time to have communion. We said, well, we might ought to have it the Sunday before, too. But I think it'd be a good, no matter what happens, for us to come together and be one as Christ prayed that we would be one. That within these ranks, there would be no division. To approach the Lord's table, the Passover meal. But for right now, we need an awakening in our lives. 
I want to share a couple of questions that Pastor Andy Stanley. And if you want to blame someone for me preaching this this morning, you can just blame Andy Stanley. And you can blame John Piper and you can blame Dr. Michael Brown because they influenced me mightily over the last week or so. Andy Stanley, I don't know if you are familiar with Andy Stanley, he pastors an enormous church in Atlanta, Georgia. You might be more familiar with Dr. Charles Stanley, his dad. But I think, I think he pastors eight or nine different campuses, thousands of people. I don't even know if he knows how many campuses he has. But this massive amount of people, and he preached a message to them on the perfect blend of faith and politics. The perfect blend. Now, that got my attention. But there's two things, he, two questions he asked. And there had to be thousands of people that was in the campus that he was preaching this. He asked two questions that as soon as I heard those questions, I wrote them down as quick as I could. And here's the first one. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than to create a version of faith that supports your politics? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I was like, I wish I had said that. I wish I had thought of that verbiage. That is a heavy question right there. And how we answer that may be that we bring ourselves under conviction. That we need to filter our politics through our faith instead of conforming our faith to fit our politics. Well, here's the second question he asked. And this really rocked me as well. Are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you and your political party, your party's platform, and your party's candidate. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm watching this. I said, you go, Pastor Andy. You just go. He is, he is treading into things that are uncomfortable for in a church setting. And for me personally, I just always avoided doing anything I feel like that my responsibility is to preach God's word and you apply it to your life and apply it to every phase of your life, including politics. Because I've said before, I'm an independent thinker. Don't belong to any, I have no allegiance to any party. I think, I just think, try to think things through and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to approach this? And so I owe no allegiance to anyone, but we owe allegiance to Jesus. We owe absolute allegiance to him. He is the Lord and Savior of our lives. He is he's the one that prayed for all of us in this room to be one. He prayed that. And we want to say, Lord, help me to be part of the answer to that prayer. So here's a pastor in Atlanta preaching this, risking, risking just approaching the proverbial elephant in the room that's going on. Anchoring what he is preaching to John chapter 17, to other parts of Scripture, Christ followers, followers of Jesus. This is what he. This is how he put it. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Be a Jesus follower when it creates space 
And creating, following him creates space between you and your political opinion. You see, we tend to recruit Jesus to defend our positions instead of allowing Jesus to shape and form our positions. We tend to want him to reinforce what we've concluded instead of letting him bring us to his conclusion. He will have no one recruiting him. He will not be a tool in anyone's hands. We cannot use him that way, but he won't, he won't participate in that. All right, here's, here's my opinion about Jesus being political. Jesus, in my opinion, would never be connected to a political party. He didn't come for that reason. He didn't attach himself to any two-party system in Judaism, which was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these two groups couldn't be more different. The Sadducees and Pharisees, in fact, he disrupted that. He had both of those groups angry at him. They, that was about the only thing they could agree on was that they both hated Jesus. And they both wanted to get rid of him. But he wouldn't join himself to either one of them because he, in reality, he called them hypocritical and, and he called them stupid. That, that's my word. Of course, that's Charles Loon's Southern translation. He did, he did tell the Sadducees, you don't know what you're talking about because you don't know the scripture. And in my thinking, he was saying, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. And they, and they got all fired up mad at him. He didn't go in to be that kind of instigator, but because what he was doing, bringing the kingdom of God and, and the purpose of God and the message of the Lord to the common people of the land, and he was swaying all these people away from the power structures that they counted on those people to, to have a loyalty to them. Jesus was pulling that loyalty away, and they just couldn't let that happen. They couldn't let him pull people away from themselves. So Jesus is not a Democrat. He's not a Libertarian. He's not a Republican. He doesn't belong to any political party. Now, whether or not you do, that's, that's your question. I'm not saying that, that that's what you should do. I'm just saying that he would never be that. What would he be? He'd be that little group that we call independents. Independent. He would be independent of all of that. However he would participate, I don't know, but he would be independent of any persuasive group that wanted his allegiance. This is what, you know, Thomas Jefferson is considered to be kind of like anti-faith, but Thomas Jefferson was more of an anti-institutional church guy. He didn't want to attend any church because he felt like people would use him as a trophy. Look, Thomas Jefferson goes to our church. And don't we tend to do that? What church do you go to? And you get the high-profile churches. Oh, okay. But Thomas Jefferson resented that kind of appeal. He did believe in, in the authority of God. He even used it in the Declaration of Independence. But he, he wrote about separation of church and state as that the that the United States of America should not have what England has. You know what England has? The Church of England. And to be in royalty, you have to be baptized into the Anglican Church. And the government supports the Anglican Church. As you have a, a Church of Germany. It's not called Church of Germany. It's called the Lutheran Church, but it's a state church. You have the Russian Orthodox Church. If you don't think that that church is powerful, you just try to start an evangelical church in a heavy Russian Orthodox community. 
You'll be alienated, isolated. You can't rent property. You can't buy property. They will close you out. And all of the framers of our declaration and our constitution did not want that to happen here. Did not want a church of America. But they never talked about separating God and state. In fact, you could see it all through. In God we trust. This unabashed, you know, proud to be to, to say that we trust in God. The one nation under God is, is part of our pledge to the, the flag. We don't back away from God is, is involved in our country, but we don't have a church that represents America. Our church needs to represent Jesus. So how many, going back to that one statement, if you'll put that back up there, Shane, I, are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you and your political party, your party's platform, and your party's candidate? Here's a question. I'll follow up with that, and I'm almost finished. Let's see how we're doing. Doing good. When he said that, you know, I'm, my wife says, do you have to have an opinion on everything? I said, yeah, I, I love having an opinion on everything. And I talk to the television all the time, and she kind of looks at me like, I, I don't want to listen to what they say. Like, no, I, I have to respond. I have to respond. It's upon me to respond. But I, I, when I read that, I said, I wonder how many people actually read a party's platform. Or at least peruse it a little bit. Just read the highlights of, I want to tell you, it's almost torturous to read it. But I thought, how much are we separated already from what they have in their platform? And we don't know it. And if we, how can we measure the space of following Jesus and the pat platform of a party we may be supporting, how can we measure the space if we don't know what their platform is? Amen. Amen, Pastor. You just go right ahead. We cannot singularly make a decision so uninformed. We can, but we shouldn't. We need to be independent thinkers Believers, considering every angle of what we do in the light of the person of Christ as Lord and Savior. Our allegiance is to Him and to Him alone. He is Lord, not the government, not politics, not a candidate, not a news source. Jesus is Lord. He is truth. He is the way of life. He is everything we need and beyond. He is the only person we say, you are Lord. And friends, we must not allow the political climate of our day to divide us. We cannot let that happen. We have to remain as brothers and sisters in the Lord, a communion of faith in Christ. He is above all of the fray of this. Let me tell you something. After November the 3rd, Jesus is still going to be Lord of all. He's going to be King of Kings. He's, he's everything he's ever was and ever will be. Nothing's going to change about heaven. Nothing's going to change about our faith. We're still belonging to him. He still has a purpose in our lives. And there's still an end coming to this world that he's, he's predicted and prophesied. 
You know, I think we need to learn how to differ with people without becoming indifferent. We cannot allow division among us. We cannot allow division among us. It's, it's a sad thing to see it happen. I'm, I'm going to go to a John Piper's article next Sunday because I don't have time. So this is going to be Jesus, the church, and politics too next Sunday. But we need to have conversation. We need to have conversation among ourselves. We need to be able to ask questions and, and have conversation. We, we don't have enough conversation. We have way too much posting things on social media without conversation. And, and then it kind of degenerates into a war. And that's a terrible witness for believers. Terrible witness to go back and forth. I've said it before. I don't, I don't think I need to say it too many more times is that we just, we need to talk face to face. I just don't like handling sensitive things through texting because you can't read people's emotion that way. We can talk on the phone. We can talk in, in private. We can, in fact, uh, I had someone recently just, I took a different opinion on a book that I'm reading and they just told me I was wrong and ended the conversation. Okay. And I had re not too long ago somebody on the phone talking to me and disagree with something I said, and they rebuked me in the name of Jesus and hung up on me. Did that hurt my feelings? No, I, I feel sorry for them. I did. I feel sorry for them. I've been praying for that person. I'm not going to say he or she because it might, I don't want anybody to start guessing who that is. They're not anyone here that don't live here. But in that conversation, I said something she totally took. <laughs> well, you would never guess it anyway. And rebuked me in the name of Jesus. And I pray for her. She's not in a very good place personally. He, he, if we carry our feelings on our sleeve, we're setting ourselves up to carry something in our soul that is not of the Lord because when we get our feelings hurt and we are a little wounded it fosters revenge and anger and displacement of the fruit of the spirit I've said before it's not rocket scientists the nine fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace does not include anger does not include hate that's over in the flesh side so as, as our praise team comes, what, what I'm really asking you to pray this morning, collectively, all of us that are here, that the Lord would heal the church. And I'm talking, I'm talking about us here. But that the Lord would heal the church as a whole. Heal us of the division, Lord. Heal us. We, we may have different opinions, even politically and all of this, but let's not let that divide us. Are you following me? I just believe we, we're, we should be better than that. We are better than that. And when we submit ourselves to his lordship and say, Lord, you alone own me. You're the only one that owns my heart, owns my mind, 
And daily I need to give myself to you so I don't get pulled into stuff that's not of him. So would you stand with me this morning? Jesus came to seek and to save not political groups. <laughs> he came to seek and to save the lost. So pray with me this morning. And we're just going to have a closing time of worship. Pray for people to be healed. The people who, Lord, we, we cry out for your church. We're praying for the same group that you prayed for in that upper room. Let your church be one. That we have a singleness of heart, a singleness of purpose, and that is your exaltation. Not the exaltation of man, our party, our candidate. We, we need to have an allegiance only to you, Lord. Only to you. You are Lord and Savior. I believe it grieves your heart, Lord, when you see division in your body. That's not your purpose. It's your purpose to heal your body. Heal your church, Lord. Heal us. We all take responsibility, Lord. Whether we participate in the division or just allow it to go on without addressing it, without being honest about the condition of your people. We're being transparent, Lord, before you. You know our hearts. You know where we're at. You know every single one of us in this room. You know what is the underlying things that we focus on. Forgive us, Lord, for focusing on the wrong things. Forgive us for being pulled into debates instead of being pulled into a concert of prayer. Crying out to you, oh God, to have mercy on our nation. Please have mercy on America, Lord. Please reach America. Reach the streets of cities that are overrun with tragedy and crime and death. Lord, bring revival to those cities that in need, they're in need of an awakening. The great cities of this nation. We cry out to you, Lord, for their leaders. We cry out to you, Lord, for pastors and churches in those cities that you would pour out an anointing upon them to lead, to lead those cities into healing, to lead those who are broken by sin and destroyed by sin, to bring remedy to them, <clears throat> to bring healing to them, to bring salvation to them, to deliver drug addicts, to deliver those who are in life controlling bondages to deliver teenagers and children from the oppression that many of them suffer under. Lord, to bring remedy to families, to bring healing to our government, Lord. We cry out for all of those. But primarily, Lord, we cry out for our, the church. Heal your church. Heal your church, Lord. Hallelujah.